The art newspaper special Abu Dhabi Focus this week comes to you in association with Abu Dhabi Art. Hello and welcome to the art newspaper podcast. I'm Anna Summers-Cox, the founder, editor and chairman of the art newspaper. And this week we're in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates to bring you a special three-part series of podcasts during a memorable week. Opening today is Abu Dhabi Art, the leading cultural event in the Emirate that includes an art fair, a raft of new commissions and installations and a full programme of talks and events. Later, I'll be talking to Abu Dhabi Art's new director, Diana Nusebe, and the curator, Tariq Abul Fatouh, who has organised this year's performance art programme. But now, I'm standing under the extraordinary, geometrically pierced dome of the Louvre Abu Dhabi, which finally opens this Saturday, the 11th of November, ten years after the signing of the historic agreement between France and the UAE to create the Arab world's first universal museum. I can see a bronze leafless tree commissioned from the Italian artist Giuseppe Pennone and a huge marble wall with a Mesopotamian creation myth in cuneiform lettering all over it by Jenny Holzer. In front of it is a striding nude bronze man on a column by Auguste Rodin and everything is in the moving dappled light filtering through the openings in the dome. Yesterday, our chief contributing editor, Gareth Harris, spoke to the museum's architect, Jean Nouvel, about this remarkable project. The Louvre Abu Dhabi is covered with an eight-layered dome that measures 180 metres in diameter. A rain of light passes through, and the effect is quite incredible. I've been at the museum today. Is it the most intricate thing you've ever created? For me, every project is intriguing. Every project is unique. I am a contextual architect. People don't like this word very often because they think I am a neo-regionalist and I copy the building around. That is not the case because I think that epoch is the first criteria of the contextuality. So, contextuality means that you have to invent something, to invent the missing piece of the puzzle. It's what I did here, what I did in other places. What I think, probably, this building is one of the most important of my work, of course, because it's not every day that you could have a commission, like a museum of civilizations, in the middle of Frangiri, uh, uh, Norman Foster, Zaha, and uh, Tadao. Uh, so of course, uh, I was interested by the question, and I tried to do here uh, a proposal belonging to the sculpture, because if I am contextual, they have to belong to the sculpture, and belonging to the sculpture, belonging to this epoch, uh, after we could discuss. <laughs> okay, and what, what is special about the museum from a structural point of view? Is it the eight layers, or the four permanent pillars holding up the dome? What's, what's the most significant part structurally? We, we have to forget the structure for the, for the cupola. I want to forget the structure. That was the main difficulty, because if you do a, a sky under the sky... You also helped to design the internal displays. That's quite unusual. How did that come about? Was that part of the original idea and, and, and conception for the whole project? Well, what is a pity is that it's in, uh, unusual, because architecture is inside and outside. Okay. We forget that more and more. And, and more in America, because with Shell and Co, uh, you know that, generally, it's interior, exterior, is not the same architect. Why we refuse total architecture? Why? You think we refuse it? 
No, a lot of people, the, the, the society refuses that now. Architect, architecture is an art. Architecture in France is a, an art of utility public, public utility. Bon, uh, but we have to, the consequence is when, when you do an architecture, we do the architecture outside and inside. That was the case for the great architect of the, of, of the 20th century. For Frank Lloyd Wright, for Le Corbusier, for Louis Kahn, for Miss Van der Rohe. It's outside, inside. Thank you very much, Mr. Nouvel, for speaking with us for the podcast. Thank you to you. <laughs> The other big opening this week in Abu Dhabi is Abu Dhabi Art. Here's the director, Diala Nusede. Of the fairs in the region, um, if one were to compare Istanbul, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, what would you think were their particular characteristics? I think the key difference really between Istanbul and Abu Dhabi is here we don't have as much yet of grassroots organizations um, creating things from the ground up. We do have phenomenal support from the government. So, you know, we have, whether it's the Sheikh Salama Foundation, which has amazing initiatives, whether it's Abu Dhabi Art, which is funded by the government, whether it's the museum projects, there really is the will and the intent to create a cultural hub here and to invest in it meaningfully, uh, partly as a heritage for the future generations, but also partly to ensure that regionally we're creating something positive um, for the good of everyone in the region, and, and also globally, that we're welcoming people here um, as cultural tourists and we're connecting with them in meaningful ways. And what particular stamp have you tried to put on it? I think Abu Dhabi art, in terms of its collectors at the moment, relies quite heavily on you know, some of our ruling family and, and senior members um, of the local community who are serious art collectors and support the fair and enjoy seeing the galleries come here and where we're evolving is we're growing more of a natural collector base from um, entrepreneurs and, and sort of the younger generation of locals and also some of our international guests who are coming more and more to the region. When Abu Dhabi Art started nine years ago it had 5,000 visitors and last year it had over 20,000 so you can see a significant growth and I think you know with the Louvre opening this week that will be an upward trend and we'll see much more. What sort of price range can people uh, expect to be buying in? I think you can have, um, I mean, for example, Arthur Gallery has something by a phenomenal young Saudi artist, Dan Awatani, which is $4,000. But equally, you can find uh, an Ai Weiwei or a Wattel Shoki at sort of, you know, closer to half a million or 300000 Or um, So there's a variety and we tend to sell... Um, at both at both levels. Now, um, you have a very well-developed public program. How do you get the people to come? So community outreach is really important for us this year, and we have a very significant community program, um, and we also really connect with universities. And this year, we're really proud to launch Art and Technology, um, which is effectively an artist residency program at a technology university, Khalifa University, which is the leading technology university, or one of them in the UAE. And we've invited um, Magdi Mustafa, Feng Mengbo, and Random International to come and spend a week with students and work collaboratively on projects. And the students absolutely loved it. And the artists actually found a lot of inspiration from working with them as well. So it was a really successful artist residency. And we also connect, for example, with architecture students. We've invited them to submit designs for a pavilion, and the winning 
design has been chosen um, and been recreated here at Abu Dhabi Art as our sort of VIP um, pavilion, essentially. But it's also a public space where people can come. And this year, because there's a, a year of collaboration between the UK and the UAE, um, we've also been collaborating with the British Institute on it, and the pavilion will move to the British Ambassador's residence afterwards and continue being a social hub there. So it's a very nice exposure for young architecture students, and it connects us also with with wider audiences um, amongst the student communities. And we have phenomenal uh, community booths also here at Abu Dhabi Art with different projects. The uh, Sheikha Fatima Foundation has done a collaboration with Neda Debs, who is a a Lebanese phenomenal designer, and she's worked with women in Afghanistan creating these carpets um, traditionally, but through her design, and that's that's a phenomenal project. And so there again, we're we're reaching out to different communities here that are doing amazing things and ensuring they bring their um, guest lists. I've also noticed that you're doing a lot of things with the other countries of the Gulf Cooperation Council. Um, why is that? I think we are stronger together, we work well together, we're all neighbours, there's a lot of close ties between people. The artists are already interrelated, interlinked, speaking with each other, but we want to be a platform for them. So for example, as part of our, our talks programme this year, we're doing something called Halakat Fun, where we've invited artists to come and do closed-door workshops, uh, partly with students but also with other artists here, and that's really connecting them with each other. And we're also making sure that we provide opportunities for these artists to meet and discuss relevant things. Manala Doayan, who's one of our commissioned artists, is already doing something quite interesting in London. She has an, a monthly gathering of artists from the region, uh, either at her home or at one of their homes, where they discuss some of the challenges they face as artists um, in the region, opportunities they're looking for. And we're really picking up on that need amongst, amongst the artists to connect and to have a platform to do so. Now, Manal al-Dawayan is a Saudi woman artist um, who's been quite a, a tough campaigner uh, for, for women's rights uh, in, in a subtle way, shall we say. Um, but the message gets across. There's a, quite a considerable Saudi presence in, in the fair this time. Could you tell us about that? She is. She's been a phenomenal campaigner and also she captures people's histories and stories and we asked her to engage with the Alain Oasis um, because of this kind of very personal way she has of engaging with communities and, and we thought it would make sense that she come to the Alain Oasis, which for us is, is a very important site, it's a UNESCO heritage site, and find a way to activate it for new audiences. And interestingly, she looked at trees as communities and she looked at the way roots of a tree will send nutrients to another tree if it knows it's not receiving them. So they sort of really look after each other as a community. And I think that ties in quite nicely with her work uh, with, with human communities. She sort of looks at trees and how they function in that way. Now there's um, quite another emphasis is on curatorship. Um, you have curators actually doing parts of this fair, um, but there are also a lot of talks about curatorship. Why are people so interested in that subject? I think curators are the most hard-working, incredible people, actually, because they follow artists' careers indefatigably. They really look at where they've come from, all their recent body of works, but also all their historical body of works. And when they bring something together, it's incredibly researched. And you, as a viewer, have the privilege of coming and seeing something that's actually had an immense amount of work go into it beforehand. So that's the gift curators can have, and they can put things in conversation in interesting ways. Um, Maya Allison, for example, we're working with in our gateway line section. And we really wanted to look at the idea of 
local artists in the context of their international peers. And she surprised us by picking something really elegant and sort of formal, which is the line, and looking at how different artists internationally and locally have explored that. Um, and then equally, you know, with our emerging artist curators, Mohamed Kadhim and Christiana De Marchi, we wanted them to work with younger artists. And we chose them because they are also artists themselves and they understood some of the challenges younger artists have. And they were very connected. Mohamed already teaches younger artists and mentors them. So it made sense to have him on board as a curator for the section. Um, I mean, those are sort of two examples of how they bring a, a, a depth, a different perspective, and expertise that really, I think, the audience benefits from. Now here's Tarek to tell us more about the performance art programme and a surprising funny side of the fair. So what have you got, Tarek, um, in store for us for this particular Abu Dhabi night? This year the concept is around language and sound, the soundscape of the city. And I'm proposing some questions related to how the different languages and the sounds of a specific cosmopolitan city can affect the life of the people living in that city. What I'm proposing in this specific context, cosmopolitan city like Abu Dhabi, where you have lots of languages, lots of different kinds of uh, soundscape, how the people are reacting to that, how this will... Uh, open the horizon of their knowledge and also affect the way they see the world. Well, one of the paradoxes of um, the Gulf and, and um, yeah. the Emirates in particular is that, is that it's Arabic, they're Arabic lands, but actually everybody speaks English. Yeah. Um, but then there are all the other languages, uh, Tagalog yes. and, and so on. Yeah. So, so how do you bring these all together? I, it's not... I would say also it's not specifically English. I think it's the, the language that they call now Globish. And that's a very simple version of English of 1,500 words. And that's different in a way than the English as we know it. But also it's, it's not only the spoken language, it's also the body language. I can give you extreme examples. Like in China, in some of the dialects in Mandarin, uh, the official language, they consider the past in down and the future up or some tribes in the Andes uh, mountain, they consider the, the future in the back and the, uh, the past in front of, of them. And the Austra- some Australian tribes, they, um, they always use north, east, west. They are not in the center of the world. They are actually thinking all the time. They know exactly where they are on the globe, even a child in a closed room where knows very well where is the north, where is the south, because they use it in their daily language. So how, how are your artists going to express this? Uh, I am presenting seven different pieces, and uh, they are actually I'm trying uh, to cover different kind of aspects of this uh, concept. Uh, first, I, uh, of course, the city soundscape that we started with a great project by Tarek Atwe. And Tarek Atwa is a, is a Lebanese artist who is based in Paris, and he started this project titled I slash E. And this I E project is uh, uh, basically a touring project from one port to the other. So he started in Athens, and then he moved here to Abu Dhabi, and he will go to Singapore and to Istanbul. Of course, harbors and ports were the place where people meet from different kind of and uh, from different kind of backgrounds and languages, etc. And Abu Dhabi is a city with a port that 
And so what he does that he spent five to six days recording all kind of sounds of that particular port. And then he installed it into um, into an instrument, a musical instrument. He saved all the recording. It's a, it's a kind of sound data bank. And he designed the uh, instrument and he put it in a container, a soundproof container, and he uh, offered it to musicians and sound artists to come and work on these data. That is sounds extraordinarily interesting. Could you just very quickly take us to this other project? Okay. <laughs> so, and then the other one is a Remini Protocol project, Everest Walk Water, and it's uh, audio performance that re- it's kind of reenactment of John Cage concert that he did in 1960. It's called Everest uh, Walk Water, and he did it with children immigrants in a minor uh, immigrant's house in Athens. So uh, the whole reenactment of sounds. Uh, charged with their stories. I have uh, Hassan Khan, uh, who, who actually was awarded the Silver Lion this year in Venice. Uh, he is based in Cairo and he's presenting two concerts. Uh, and we have also a book launch of Javlat Eric the, uh, from Istanbul. And the book is titled How to Imitate the Sea, the Shore Sound Using Your Hands and a Carpet, a Synthetic Carpet. And we will end with the stand-up comedy uh, with two uh, comedians, one Emirati comedian, uh, Omar Ismail, who actually does not speak Arabic, and he always faced funny stories about funny, his funny situations. And uh, uh, one who Chung, who is actually a Korean-Vietnamese comedian who was born in Saudi Arabia, who speaks Arabic fluently. And uh, so they are, we have these two uh, comedian acts. Thank you very much indeed, Tarek. Thank you. Look out for the second episode in our Abu Dhabi Focus podcast series coming later this week. You can find all of our Abu Dhabi Focus coverage on our website, theartnewspaper.com, including videos from Louvre Abu Dhabi and Abu Dhabi Art. You can also keep up to date with all the latest art world news from Abu Dhabi and beyond on social media. Follow us on Facebook at The Art Newspaper and on Twitter and Instagram at theartnewspaper.official. Newspaper